0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I appreciate you being here. I'm glad to see this number of young people here to my right, your left, and uh, really happy to be here. My first time, I believe, in Leeds, Alabama, and I've been to Birmingham a few times, but um, my first time here at Asheville Road Congregation. Love your preacher. And uh, Drew, as he mentioned, and I were at Freed Hardiman, in the fall of 1993. Now, it's probably hard to imagine Drew being that old, um, but uh, still young and good looking. But um, we, uh, we were in Greek together. We studied under a, a man by the name of Dow Flat, and uh, he contributed to my uh, love and preaching and my interest in, in these things. And so I'm happy that I get to be with you this morning. I, I surely love Drew. Um, my best friend at Freed Hardeman I would say I admire him for a lot of reasons he's always had a heart for God as long as I've known him Um, loved uh, spending time with his wife last night and hearing about some of their adventures here and beyond and uh, just a great couple great servants of the Lord and uh, just honored to be with you this morning to talk about this subject and to try to address it in a way that pleases and honors God i do need to make a disclaimer this morning for some of our parents and that is that there is an aspect of talking about gender lesbian gay bisexual transgender uh, intersex when you start having these discussions there might be some parents that are sensitive and i can certainly sympathize with you in that i have two boys Uh, one is 17 and one is 20 And my goal this morning is not to take away from your uh, discussions that you might have with your child. Uh, My job this morning is not to replace that. My job this morning in these three lessons uh, is to equip you and to look at some things and to have us examine some things in view of scripture because when we think about it from a very young age, and I could show you some data From age zero to five years old, there's a collection of books, where board books, where a a young male child would be exposed on a board book to glitter and to feminizing him and things of that nature. I could show you, I could give you the names, I could give you a list of different books uh, from that age group. When we think about gender and a child's development, there's a lot that's going on in pre-K. Uh, Beginning at about age two, a child begins formulating their concept of biological gender. When you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics this morning, they have have a policy statement that is uh, nearly exclusively gender-affirming care. Um, This is happening around age six, and so pre-K, this is really important that we spend time in uh, helping equip parents in the church for having these discussions there's going to be discussions if they're in a pre-k environment Um, there may be discussions where there are uh, lesbian parents or homosexual male parents and how do you have these discussions on these issues my goal this morning is certainly not to um, expose your child uh, your adolescent your teen to something that is harmful Uh, But my goal this morning is to expose them to scripture and to make people aware of this is the world that we live in. This is the United States of America. This is Europe. This is really the world. And uh, to try to help equip you in these things. I could show you a study from 2015 where there are uh, individuals who are identifying their gender as being different from their sex. From five years of age and less in this survey 32% from 6 to 10 years of age 28% and so it really is a pre-k discussion um, how you have those discussions I, I don't want to take that away from a parent but I'm certainly here to try to equip you in these areas in 2014 in the United States of America the US Supreme Court in a landmark case known as Obergefell versus Hodges made a decision that crystallized a point in American history prior to that time in our nation it was recognized that a marriage was between a man and a woman in 2014 with the political administration that was then there and then with the Supreme Court that was then there there was a landmark decision that said that Homosexual unions would now be a part of our nation. There was a dissenting justice on the bench in that time, still is. John Roberts was the Chief Justice of the United Supreme, uh, uh, United States Supreme Court, still serving in the United States Supreme Court. But Ch- Chief Justice John Roberts dissented from the majority's opinion in that case. And I want you to listen to the language that he used in that dissent. He asked this question. He said, just who do we think we are? And as he went on, as he said before that, he said, the court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia, for the Kalahari Bushmen and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians, and the Aztecs. He said, just who do we think we are? The United States Supreme Court in 2004 drew a line in the shifting sands of America's consciousness that impacts our identity. That impacts the consciousness of a nation in terms of who are we? Who do I think I am? What is at the core of America's consciousness in terms of what constitutes a marriage? Law has an import in that. Law has an impact in that. And Chief Justice Roberts, in this decision, he asked this question, just who do we think we are? Who do you think you are today? Who do I think I am today? What is the nature of human identity? And how is this influenced by different political currents, by different philosophical currents, by different impacts and inputs into my own mind and into your own mind. How do we formulate this idea of gender? Is gender somehow different than biological sex? And if it is, upon what grounds? I want you to think with me about this question this morning as we ask this question, whatever happened to gender? In asking that question, whatever happened to gender, you could approach that question from two vantage points. You could approach that question from the vantage point of, well, what has happened with gender is progress. And what we see in this nation and in Europe and beyond is is progress. That what America has is progress when it comes to gender. That we are more advanced. You could also answer that question whatever happened to gender from the perspective of digression. That really what's happening with our Our society and our culture today is is really not one of progress, but really one of digression. I'll let you be the judge this morning in these three lessons on whether you think that, that America has made some advancements in that area or whether America has not. I want to ask you this question, though, as you entertain this question, whatever happened to gender. Is there anything objective anymore? is there anything objective anymore? What do I mean when I say that? When I talk about objectivity, what I'm talking about is your mind, your body, your sociology, your psychology, your biology, your spirituality, as it would engage with something outside of you. You, this morning, each and every one of us in this room, are both flesh and spirit. As long as the The spirit is in the body, we are given this flesh. And not every facet of flesh is evil. There are things that we can do with our bodies that are sinful. But not everything that you do in your flesh is sinful. Is there anything outside your own mind, outside your own flesh, outside your own spirit, to which you are accountable to, amenable to? Is there anything objective anymore? When we ask that question, and when we're entertaining things known as gender this morning, maybe you ask questions like this. What about stereotypes? You start asking questions about gender and stereotypes. As we were driving over yesterday afternoon, I noticed that we were coming by a place known as Talladega. Last night, as we were going out to supper uh, with the Kaisers, I noticed a race car. We were right behind one. This is NASCAR country, isn't it? I suppose. Heard things about Talladega growing up. But we're in NASCAR. Would it be be wrong for a woman to enjoy NASCAR? If not, why not? How are you going to make that determination? Is there anything objective? I would argue that there is. I would argue that the Bible is an objective standard from God himself. It is his word. Here's an objective stand. I can make evaluations of stereotypes, masculine or feminine, because I have an objective stand. Is there anything objective anymore? I want you to see that in our society this morning that there is this notion that not really anything objective anymore. When Jesus engaged those in Mark chapter 6, in verse 34, when he went to feed the 5,000, the Bible says that he went... When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Compassion is not devoid of truth. Jesus certainly did eat with sinners. Jesus certainly ate with tax collectors. He didn't eat with them to endorse or put a stamp of approval on their sins, but he did it in order To show his compassion and his love for them. He would eventually die for them. And I want you this morning to ask yourself this question. What if you had a moment to speak with a person who was lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex? What if you had a chance to talk with somebody who was engaging in certain behaviors? How would you show them the love of Christ? Whatever happened to gender? I want this morning for us to look at this question about the spiritual, philosophical, and cultural currents that are in our world this morning. When you think about this, number one, I want us to think about these different philosophical currents that are in our world this morning. Maybe you've heard discussion about bathrooms. How are we going to decide which individuals go into which bathrooms? How are you going to decide that? If there's nothing objective anymore, how do you make that determination? Is it going to be just some collective consciousness that says, okay, we'll let these people in these bathrooms and these people not in these bathrooms? And how are you going to decide that anymore? When you talk about professional sports or collegiate athletics or, or really middle school athletics or high school athletics, and you start trying to, to make decisions about who's allowed to play which sports, how are you going to make those determinations if there's not anything objective anymore? When you start thinking about books that are allowed in public school libraries. Books that are allowed in public libraries, books that are in college libraries. How are you going to decide which books should be allowed in certain Is this a is this a free speech thing or does my pre-K, does my 3-year-old in in pre-K need to be exposed to certain ideas and certain influences? Shouldn't we stand up and against certain things that, that, that a three-year-old is exposed to? What are going to be the grounds of those discussions? How are, you going to, how are you going to formalize those decisions? How are you going to argue? If there's nothing objective anymore, you can't even make those decisions. How about bullying? Is bullying wrong? If so, why? Why? You see, if there's nothing objective anymore. You can't even argue that, that bullying is wrong. And, and these are the grounds for which bullying is wrong. What about in medicine? In medicine, and I can share with you some of the data, there are multiple large consensus medical organizations in the United States. The American Academy of Pediatrics is one of them that is endorsing gender affirmative care from a very early age. Is that good or bad? How are you going to decide? See, if there's nothing objective anymore, how are you going to make that decision? How are you going to make decisions about what your child is exposed to, what your teenager is exposed to, what your college child is exposed to? How are you going to make those decisions if there's nothing objective anymore? Is there anything outside of our mind When we look into some of the data that's around us, there there is a a book that's put out by the American Psychiatric Association going back even for decades. And in DSM-5 in 2020, here's the definition of gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is this incongruence, that is this incompatibility between a person's expressed gender their experienced gender, if you will, and their assigned gender for at least six months duration and then depending on which category in the DSM-5, whether you're talking about adolescents or children, there would be other qualifications that would would then uh, substantiate a diagnosis known as gender dysphoria. When you think about this incongruence or this incompatibility, What do they mean by assigned gender? Now, in the past, we would use the term sex, male or female, binary, right? But in the DSM-5, in this edition of DSM-5, they use this phrase assigned gender. Language, as we use it, can be loaded. Think about the way that we describe gender in 2023. What will people say? They will say, what is your sex assigned at birth? You ever stopped and think about that phrase, sex assigned at birth? You ever thought about why proponents of gender affirmation would use that phrase, sex assigned at birth? Here's one reason. Because there is the belief swirling in the minds of certain individuals, and sometimes collective groups, that sex is something that is projected upon you, it's not something that you are. You see, in in the neonatal phase in in the womb, you can do an ultrasound on a woman's belly and you can find out whether that child is male or female. You can know that prior to labor and delivery. You can know whether your child is male or female, but hereupon, when a birth certificate is signed and the designation of that it's something that, and there's a philosophical background to this whole language of sex assigned at birth. You see, from a scientific perspective, when you start talking about the word sex, it's a biological term. It's either male or female. It is objective. It's not decided by some group or some consensus. You're either a boy or you're not. You're either male or you're female, it's, it's binary in nature, and you're either one or the other, and there's no middle ground there. It's, from a scientific perspective, here's what the word, biologically speaking, the word sex means. Science has prided itself upon the notion that there is something objective. Science prides itself on the, on the notion of how do I eliminate bias of the researcher and of the participant in the research so that I can reach a conclusion that that is objective in its findings and and not that there's not limitations in science and things of that nature but science itself has prided itself on objectivity But see I'm asking this question is there anything objective anymore You see, there are different philosophical uh, uh, inputs into our world this morning. But when you look at the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible says that God made them male and female. Male and female, he created them. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? In the Bible, there is no distinction between biological sex and psychological gender. There is no what has society projected upon you that's not really real, but it's something that kind of people believe. And, you know, you're not really a male. It's just merely there's a group of people who think you're male. You're not really a female, but society has projected upon you these notions of, of being feminine. You see, if I had a chance this morning to speak to someone that's struggling with same-sex desire... Someone that is going through transitioning, someone that is having body dysmorphia where they are going through puberty and they're like, ah, "Like, ah, I don't really like this. I don't really like the way I feel at nine years, ten years. If I had a chance, I would say, listen, God has made you for a purpose. There is such a thing as authentic masculinity. Your flesh. Your flesh, your either masculine or feminine flesh, can be used for a higher purpose, for a higher calling, for a goal that God says he made you for this. I want to try to reach some of those people if I, I can. You see, when we start talking about sex, we're talking about biology, and a person is either XX female or XY male genetically even people who go through transitioning their body is either xx or xy genetically their genes don't change their genes will be coding if you're xx female your genetics your genome your human genome the entirety of your genes your chromosomes they'll be coding for masculine characteristics and that'll have to be overcome with with medication. So this notion is something that we need to talk about. There are philosophical undercurrents that are at work. When you think about this question, is there anything objective anymore, we think about postmodernism. Postmodernism isn't something that's new. It's a philosophy that's been around for at least 50 years. Undercurrents were certainly swirling around in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Two thousands, even now, postmodernism is at work. Postmodernism is this philosophy that that when you ask the question, "Is there anything objective anymore?" Postmodernism says no. Postmodernism says I, we don't believe in reason. We don't believe in science. That words are really what you make them to be. That's what postmodernism says. Postmodernism says, uh, all the while using reason, says that reason isn't really something you should use. Or believe in at least in any absolute sense any objective sense words are what you make them to be that's what postmodernism says this notion floats around you can't really ever get at truth there are certainly other philosophical uh, currents that p- are at play in that as well scientists would say that biology is fixed right that uh, an organism and even in the plant world right you can observe that there is seed And there are feminine parts and masculine parts to plants. And we know uh, in middle Georgia, it's a big pecan-producing area. And pecan trees have to be pollinated. And sometimes, uh, uh, you know, agricultural experts will want to know well what type of tree is this and how is it producing versus this tree and is there cross-pollination existing and you know how close can these peach trees be and and uh, what what uh, species is this genetically speaking of this peach tree versus this peach tree middle georgia's pecans peaches cotton all of these kind of agricultural elements that are uh, bountiful aspects of the land Scientists understand objectively that there are certain characteristics of that. That these aren't just mere constructs of a human mind, um, but postmodernism comes and kind of destroys this notion of of objectivity, of anything absolute, of anything ultimate. So when we come to these questions of a moral nature, postmodernism would say, "Well, yeah, listen, you have your belief and I have mine, and you know, uh, I want to be I want to be respectful of your perspective, but." But how do you ever solve any dilemmas? How are you going to ever know when you start talking about gender stereotypes and if postmodernism is where you come from? You can't ever really settle the debate. You can talk about different things. You can talk about, well, you know, hey, these people have their perspective, and, you know, here's some people with the opposite uh, perspective. And, you know, we can't really ever agree on anything because we can't ever really arrive at the very basis for our decision making. These philosophical inputs. Important role when we start talking about gender. Drew and I, I don't know if you remember this. Drew and I were students at Fried Hardeman. I went to Fried Hardeman for four months. I was lovesick and homesick, and then I left. Drew stayed. Drew is someone I want to grow up to be like. And uh, he stayed at Freed Hardeman and went through Greek. He kept going on in Greek, and then he went on and got his master's degree. Drew and I, I don't know if you remember this, you wrote me a letter. And so this was pre-social media. Like when Drew and I, when we were at Freed Hardeman in the 90s, like you would actually have to, no cell phone, I didn't have a cell phone until the 2000s. But um, no cell phone there. We didn't text each other. Like, you actually picked up a telephone. You're like, hey, you want to go eat supper? Like, what are you doing? Like, we actually talked on the phone to each other. Kind of crazy, huh? No texting, no Facebook messaging, no Snapchat, no TikTok. Like, we grew up. Like, this was pre-email. I didn't have email until, I think, like 1996. I think that's when I first started... Getting into email and all that. I can still hear the modem squealing. Some of you can too, you know? For our young people, you're growing up in a world TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, lots of other social media platforms, Discord servers, WhatsApp, Facebook. My kids tell me Facebook's for old people. And uh, I guess I'm, oh, yeah, they're agreeing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, but you're probably on maybe some other social media platforms. There's cultural conditioning that happens on social media. Drew and I were culturally conditioned by news, by the media, radio, television, and um, today, young people are culturally conditioned by <coughs> An array of different multimedia platforms. When Drew and I were growing up, it was, all right, I want to be, you know, when we had our little rebel moments, we'd watched movies like Rambo, right? It's like, oh, you know, I want to spread my wings, you know, is violence the way and, you know, aggression? Like, you know, we had been exposed to the karate kid, right? You know, so, um, you know, if we're, If we're going to settle our differences you know daniel larusso um, like that's that's what we're exposed to in movies right television um, we were exposed to those things but now this generation right social media when a young person is saying i'm going to spread my wings i'm going to branch out i want to be different what is it that they're exposed to that would say i want to be I want to be different in this way right there are inputs into young people's minds that says hey being homosexual is fine being lesbian is fine being transgender it's okay this is the way you express you don't find your identity with this group right maybe you can't hang out with the athletic crowd you can find your identity here and I think it's important for whatever age a person is to stop and to evaluate how is that influencing us? When we think about the history, how we got here historically. I'm going to take you through real quick, some different historical facets of this idea of transgender. It's interwoven into lesbianism and homosexuality going all the way back to the '60s. In 1969, there was what are called the Stonewall riots that occurred in New York City. There was a place in New York known as Greenwich Village. It was an area of New York City, and uh, in that area of New York City, homosexual relationships were illegal. And uh, along with the selling of liquor without a license, New York law allowed police to arrest anyone for not wearing three items of binary gender appropriate clothing. So police raided the bar on June 28th, 1969, And after that, five days of rioting ensued. In 1970, many consider this to be the first gay pride march. And um, this occurred in 1970. Retail establishments today, um, many of them um, celebrate the month of June as pride month. There is this interwoven aspect of homosexuality and transgender. There is this overlap. In 2019, roughly... 50 years from 1969 in New York City, there was the World Pride Parade that boasted as many as 5 million people attending. In 50 years. 50 years from the Stonewall riots. These discussions swell at many different places. 1990, RuPaul, uh, some of you remember uh, famous... uh, um, you know, drag queen. You roll forward and uh, you move to a time known as Chad, uh, a TV series known as My Two Dads. The actor Chad Allen starred in that. In 2010, uh, Laverne Cox and Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce Jenner make the headlines in 2010. Laverne Cox profiled in, on VH1 in a series called Transform Me. Where female contestants receive makeovers from transgender stylists in 2015, Cox became the first openly transgender woman to receive a daytime Emmy Award for Laverne Cox presents the T word that candidly discussed the experiences of transgender youth. And uh, also in uh, 2010, in uh, and beyond up. 2015 Bruce Jenner uh, the uh, decorated decathlete who was once on the Wheaties box the Wheaties cereal box of the 1970s in 2015 Bruce Jenner made glamour magazines woman of the year in the 1970s he was a decorated decathlete in 2015 he becomes woman of the year and we're asking the question whatever happened to gender what happened in those 45 years for Bruce Jenner? He came out in Vanity Fair uh, and had an interview with someone by the name of Buzz Bissinger. Buzz, Bi- uh, Buzz Bissinger wrote this in Vanity Fair. He said, I think Caitlin has found her soul. He said, I think Caitlin has found her soul that really Bruce never had. Jenner went on to say this, I'm doing it to help my soul and help other people that's why Jenner said he did it when you think about this in uh, there are certain political currents that are swelling at different places in 2004 George W Bush stood against uh, uh, this notion of gay marriage he backed a constitutional ban on that you roll forward 10 years to President Barack Obama and he said that faith was the reason why he supported same-sex marriage in that year is when the Supreme Court made its ruling. Libraries are a place in 2021. Uh, Maya Kabobe's book, um, Maya Kabobe's book, Gender Queer, uh, was named the most banned book in the United States. In sports, in 2022, Leah Thompson made the headlines. She was born male, but after hormone competed for the University of Pennsylvania she won a division one championship people asked is that really fair here's a body that for years was bathed in testosterone testosterone has an impact upon muscle growth upon bones upon lots of different facets of a human body and now Leah Thompson transitioned medically and now leah born male is swimming for in ncaa1 division one and winning an award america is asking the question is that really fair a body bathed in testosterone for all these years and now desire to transition major medical consensus bodies we could look at the american college of physicians the american academy of pediatrics the american college of OBGYN, American Osteopathic Association, in religious circles in Georgia. Georgia's been a hotbed for that among Methodist churches. I was just reading this week that uh, 180 Georgia Methodist churches sued to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church over LGBTQ issues. Swirling at many different places in society. I want to ask you to think with me about what God thinks about gender. What does God think about gender?' I'm taking notes, write these passages down. Genesis 1:26 and 27. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. From the very beginning, God made Adam male, God made Eve female. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Whether you're male or female, this morning, God created you very good. Very good in a spiritual way, in a social way, in a psychological way, in a biological way, in your flesh. God created you very good. Genesis chapter 5, in verse 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Male and female, he created them. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, He answered, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The two become one, male and female He created Jesus called forth God's binary definition of gender, of sex. Psychologically male, in the flesh, male, psychologically, female, in the flesh, female, both biology and gender, there's no difference in that. Today, sometimes people have gender dysphoria, and that's this incongruence where they might feel uh, that their biology doesn't uh, intersect with their mind, but you could take someone like Jenner. Born male. And whether we're talking about surgical transitioning or medication that's contributing to that transitioning, genetically, Gen- Jenner is still XY male. They haven't changed his genetics, they haven't changed his genome. You were born, when you're born, you have a certain genetics, you have a certain genome. Those ge- genes code for proteins all throughout your life. And um, it's a beautiful study to think about those things. Um, identity is something God given. We are created in His likeness. In Matthew chapter ten and verse thirty-nine, the Bible says this: Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for My sake will find it i want to bring this lesson to a close with a couple observations but i want you to think about this we asked at the beginning is there anything objective anymore god in all his infinite wisdom would say there is god would say i am the very source of objectivity god would say that he is a source of wisdom God would say, I'm the one who made you male. I'm the one who made you female. And all that God is. And all that God ever will be. God has a higher purpose for you in your life. That comes from an objective word, an objective truth. God has an objective nature. There is both the goodness and the severity of God. God made you in his image and in his likeness. You have a nature. You're born into the grace of God, as one author would describe it. You're born in original grace. You're born into God's favor. You don't inherit the depravity of Adam in the womb, at fertilization, after birth. You don't inherit his guilt. You become guilty when you sin. But I want you to think about this passage that's on the screen here. Sometimes people are struggling with gender dysphoria. They're saying, I don't really feel comfortable in my own skin. Sometimes they're wishing that they weren't in their own skin. I want you to think with me this morning that If that's where you are, or that's where someone you know is at this morning, that this passage right here is speaking to your need. You're not comfortable in your own skin? God has something for you. You might struggle all your life. Some people do with same-sex attraction. I want you to know that if Jesus were here this morning, what he would say to you is, hey, your life is worth something. He would say if a person was struggling with gender dysphoria or someone was struggling with same-sex attraction or someone had even gone through transitioning, he would say to them, hey, find your identity in me. Find your nature in me find your image in me in 2018 the american academy of pediatrics came out with their policy statement advocating for gender affirmative care and here's one of the lines in that policy statement it says all clinical office staff have a role in affirming a patient's gender identity This is pediatric offices. This is your one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old. This is a major consensus body in the United States, the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's published online. You can read it for free. What impact does that have on a child's mind? What impact does it have on a child's mind when the American Academy of Pediatrics says, you know, conversion therapy, that's what Jesus is talking about here, by the way. What happens when when the American Academy of Pediatrics says reparative therapy or conversion therapy, when they say it doesn't work? My Lord says it does. My Lord says, to find your life in me, lose it in me. What impact does it have upon a child when the American Academy of Pediatrics says this watchful waiting approach in gender dysphoria? Hey, listen, your child's five years old. Let's get them in the gender clinic. Let's let's start the process, right? let's begin the treatment right because in the formative years this is when gender is crystallized in a child's mind what happens when the american academy of pediatrics says that, that watchful waiting hey listen that really doesn't work either let's go ahead and if they if they're born female but believe that they're male let's go ahead and get this going let's send them to the academic medical center let's send them to the gender clinic let's get the process let's get the bo- What impact does that have upon a a six-year-old? Brothers and sisters and friends this morning, there are people in our nation that are very powerful and influential voices that say conversion really doesn't work. I want to tell you this morning that our kids, our college-age students, our high-school-age students, they're worth fighting for. we got to stand up. we got to speak out. We can't just say, well, hey, listen, this is, this is what's happening in society, and you know, now is our time. Everyone that's sitting over here, you are worth fighting for you're worth taking a stand for your friends and your schools your classmates your peers your kids your grandkids they're worth fighting for conversion it's real that'll be the topic of our next hour